Welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness podcast series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness webcast series held on March 28, 2018, focusing on tax reform's impact and planning considerations for high net worth individuals. The panelists for the webcast were Brittany Sachs, a PwC tax partner and leader of our personal financial services practice, as well as PwC tax partners Mark Nash, Mike James, and Frank Graziano, all with our personal services practice. This podcast excerpt consists of a discussion among the panelists focusing on the tax reform impact on private equity, hedge funds, and real estate. Take a listen. At this point, I think we probably should move on and focus okay. on um, some of the impact, the tax reform impact to um, private equity, hedge funds, real estate, et cetera, Mark. Terrific. Thank you, Brittany, sure. and thanks, Frank, uh, for, for that. Um, and we'll get back to that 199A deduction as we talk about the impact of private equity hedge funds and um, real estate. Uh, certainly this is a topic that we're getting from a lot of our clients as well because most of our clients invest in alternative investments of, of some sort and they want to know how they're impacted. And then we also serve a number of uh, the managers or the principals in the hedge fund and private equity fund space and also in real estate and they're wanting to know. To some extent, there are nuances in the way the calculations work and the way tax reform uh, impacts them so that they're impacted differently uh, between hedge and private equity and real estate. And to some extent also, uh, the concerns that you would have as an investor in one of those alternatives might be different than the concerns you would have if you were a principal or a manager in one of those, those entities. And so we'll take those separately as well. So let's start with hedge funds. And certainly we've already talked about in uh, Brittany's broad overview of tax reform, the repeal of the 212 deductions or the portfolio deductions. And this is a big issue uh, in the hedge fund industry, particularly for investor funds, because most hedge funds, as you will remember, uh, have both a management fee and a profits interest sort of component. And so the, the fund is compensated based on an assets under management, say a 2% of assets under management, plus a 20, so a 2 and 20 sort of model. And the 20 refers to a percentage of the profits that the managers will get based on the profit that the fund generates. Well, that allocation of income, that 20%, is still very tax efficient because that gets carved off and that's income that does not flow out to the investors. And so it's, it's basically deductible, so to speak. But the management fee part, that 2% part, that most of the time, particularly on an investor fund, will flow out as a portfolio deduction on line 13K of the K-1. And that is treated as a miscellaneous itemized deduction on the individual or the trust investor's return. And that is no longer deductible after tax reform. And so that's a, that's a big deal. And uh, we, we don't want to overlook the fact that uh, the after-tax rate of return uh, for funds is impacted by the fact that those expenses are no longer deductible. And Mark, can I just interject here? I mean, you, you mentioned investor funds, but yes. there, there's trader funds and there's investor funds. And, and with this 212 you know, limitation or, or basically you know, exclusion, how does, um, how does that impact the two different types of funds? Sure, that's a great question, uh, Brittany. So I, I did highlight here in talking about this that it mainly, it mainly impacts investor funds because those are the ones that are flowing off more of those portfolio deductions. A trader fund is one that takes a position that it's in the trade or business 
of trading securities or commodities or um, you know, financial instruments. And because they take the position that they are in the trade or business of, of doing this, their expenses are not portfolio deductions. Their expenses related to their trading activity happen above the line. And most of the time we'll take those on Schedule E and they are not treated as miscellaneous itemized deductions. And so to the extent that your fund is a trader and it's taking that position that it's in a trader business, then you probably don't have so many portfolio deductions that are flowing on that K-1 to you as an investor. And so the, the repeal of the 212 expense is more of an issue for the, the investor funds. Uh, likewise, for the... Yeah, Mark, yeah, yeah Frank, so, so, please. If, so if it's now a trader and it's treated like a business... Do these guys get the 199A deduction? Well, oh, that's a great that's a great question. The 199A deduction would would certainly be a, a great benefit if we could get it, but unfortunately, I think the answer is no. And it's going back to those two things that you said were foundational to the deduction. One is that um, you only get a 199A deduction to the extent that you have qualified business income, and an investor fund is not taking the position it's in a business. So it's all portfolio income, interest and dividends and capital gains. But if you're a trader or if you are with a, a principal in the management company and such like that, we also covered that you don't get that deduction if you are in a specified service business. And, um, and financial services and brokerage and the trading of um, securities or partnership interests or commodities, those were defined in that specified service industry bucket. So I think any way you look at it, uh, investors in hedge funds and the managers of hedge funds are not going to get a 199A deduction for that, but it's a, a question we're getting asked uh, quite a bit. Right. Yeah. Thank you. If they do take that uh, position that they're a trader, one of the other things that you see on the screen here is um, that there is um, now a new limitation on uh, the deductibility of business interest expense, 30% uh, of EBITDA basically for the next five years. And if you're taking the position that you are in a trader business, uh, and if you're using a lot of leverage in the portfolio, this business interest expense limitation could apply to those funds. Um, and then lastly, you see on this uh, screen, there's been a lot talked about the carried interest. Um, and there's been a lot talked about this in Congress. There's a lot talked about this on the campaign trail about how they wanted to tighten down this loophole for carried interest because the perception is that the folks that work in the, the hedge fund industry or the real estate industry, this is really uh, an alternative form of compensation for them and shouldn't be receiving long-term capital gain treatment. While the tax reform bill didn't go quite that far, it doesn't treat it as compensation, but what it does do is it lengthens the holding period time in order to qualify for long-term capital gain treatment. So if you are holding a partnership and you're holding that through the performance of services and you're getting a, a promote or carried interest, then uh, the holding period is now three years in order to qualify for long-term capital gain treatment um, So for, Mark, for maybe, maybe two things on the items that you were just saying. I mean, one, it sounds like we may have some additional footnotes and disclosures on the K-1s, particularly related to carried interest, so that we make sure we understand the difference between the 12-month 
uh, long-term capital gains and the carried interest three-year that you just put. Um, the other thing is probably the, you mentioned the excess business losses. And I know we were talking about them in terms of hedge funds, but really that is, that's a provision that applies across the and board, right? It applies right? across the board. And we'll talk more about that on the private equity slide. But yes, this new provision that if you have uh, business losses, trader business losses, and in the aggregate across all your trades or businesses, they amount to more than $250,000. If you're a single filer or 500000 as a married filing a joint return, then those excess losses are going to be limited and carried forward and treated as a net operating loss in the, the years following, subject to the net operating loss rules. We're still waiting for some guidance on how that would be calculated and exactly how that applies in an asset management context, but all indications are that it would. Right. Okay, what about on the private equity and real estate kind of side? Well, that's a great uh, segue into our next slide to talk about uh, what the impacts are on private equity and real estate, because as we said, it's a little different than hedge fund. Um, many portfolio companies of private equity do operate in C-corporation form. They're not flow-through entities. And so those C-corporation portfolio companies will get the benefit of the new 21% lower corporate rate, so that's going to be terrific. Uh, many of them will also benefit from this 100% full expensing provision, so their capital expenditures, they'll be able to write off 100% of that to the extent it's qualified property. Uh, and many of them, if they are operating in flow-through form at that portfolio company level, uh, they might benefit from the 199A deduction. So right. if they're in a qualifying business and that income tears up to the fund and then it flows out to the fund investors, uh, investors in those funds might get um, part of the benefit from the 199A deduction. And again, we have that business interest expense limitation to talk about on private equity and real estate as well. So, you know, you see the full expensing on the one side, which pulls your taxable income down. Um, and then you've got the 199A deduction that perhaps uh, you have to balance the two of those together. And also, you know, you've got the business interest expense limitation that is weighing in there. So to some extent, it's a fine balance uh, between the three of those provisions. There is a special provision for real estate where you can elect out of the business ex interest expense limitation if you elect to take longer depreciation lives. So you're basically going to forego the expensing of the the qualified property in order to avoid the business interest expense limitation. But Brittany, I think you've been seeing that yeah, with some I, of your taxpayers on when I they have, might make and, that um, And I think it just really, it goes back to what we were even saying earlier about the 199A. I mean, modeling is, is really important here. It's really important to look at what you know, what is your projected business doing, you know, over the next five to eight years as you're thinking through taking advantage of expensing versus the business interest in, um, limitation and the 199A deduction. They, they all, like you said, kind of interplay. Right. So we've got on the slide here now just a few planning opportunities that we have been talking to clients about in this space. Certainly they've been talking about whether or not it makes sense to operate in pass-through form or C-corp form. And again, you have to model that out. Uh, where uh, should they be located? Should you pick yourself up or pick your business up and move to a more tax-friendly state uh, to, since you're no longer able to deduct those state income taxes if they're in flow-through form? Um, 
converting or changing the way that you're compensated, going away from incentive fees and more to incentive allocation. So reducing that management fee aspect and giving more to the carry, which is tax efficient, uh, to the extent that it makes economic sense. So these are just some of the things that we're chatting with our clients about. Yeah, right. no question. I think, thank you, Mark. I think that, I mean, there, there is a lot to, to consider in this area too. Um, and, and modeling, as we keep coming back to as a theme, is gonna be key. A huge thank you to all my panelists um, for all that information. Very much appreciated, and thank you very much for today. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like further information about this topic, please email the participants whose email addresses can be found in the description of this episode.